Amen. 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 I'd like to direct your attention to the book of Psalms, chapter 119. The longest chapter in your Bible. If it's been a while since you've studied the book of Psalms, chapter 119, you really should carve out some time, and you will need some time, and dig deep into the Psalms, particularly chapter 119. Powerful passage of Scripture. But I'd like to launch our subject matter tonight from this Psalm. Beginning in verse 103, and we'll read down to verse 105. And then when we're done there, I'll immediately direct your attention to the book of Hebrews chapter 5. So for those that could turn with us to both passages, that would be advisable. How sweet are thy words unto my taste. Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Can I pause and remind you that when you fall in love with the word of God, you will fall out of love with the precepts of this world. You say, preacher, well, I long for things that I ought not to long for. Fall in love with the word of God. Preacher, how do I fall in love with the word of God? Oh, taste and see that the Lord, he is good. And when you begin to ingest the good word of the Lord, it will be sweet to your taste, sweeter than honey is on the honeycomb. And you will fall in love with the word of God. But you will never fall in love with the word of God if you never taste the word of God. If you never partake of it, if you never open the bread of life, if you never fill your heart with it, if you never memorize it, if you never care about it, if you never dust it off, if you're not filling your life, if you're not tasting it, you will not love it. The Bible tells us that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And then the word robed itself in flesh, and it dwelt all among us. Let me tell you something, and some of you aren't going to like this, but you cannot be indifferent to his word and claim to love Jesus. That's harsh, preacher. I'm telling you the truth. You cannot claim to love the word manifest in the flesh if you never open up your Bible. All right. Through thy precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. Did you know there is a godly hate? We're not supposed to hate. Oh, yes, you are. You ought to hate ungodliness. I'm not talking about hating people, but there are things that you ought to hate. An extreme example is you should hate murder. You shouldn't be entertained by murder. You shouldn't enjoy murder. You should hate murder. And so there are things that as godly men and women that we should hate, that we should avoid. 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Can you imagine if you were in a dark wooded area 
and it was dangerous, and there was no natural light. The stars were covered by the trees, and, and there was nothing, just darkness. Anybody ever been in the woods? Brother Dan, I know you've been in places like that. I've been in places where it was so dark that if you didn't have a lamp of some kind, you were just not going to be able to find your way. Could you imagine if you had in your possession a flashlight, but you refused to turn it on and use it in spite of the fact that you were stumbling over and over and over again? We would call that crazy, wouldn't we, Brother Dan? And I see people doing this spiritually all of the time. They're stumbling over and over again, and God's word would be a lamp to their feet if they would simply open it up. Oh, I've been the Holy Ghost right now. If they would open up the good word of the Lord, it would illuminate their pathway. And they would avoid so much pain and so much discouragement and so much heartache if they would simply allow the word to be a lamp unto their feet and a light unto their path. Hebrews 5 and 13, I know you're standing. Hebrews 5 and 13, and I'm giving you my subject matter tonight. Becoming skillful in the word. Could you say that with me? Becoming skillful in the word. And tonight's lesson is really going to be a Bible study on Bible study. And we're going to talk about studying the Bible for a little bit tonight. Hebrews 5.13, For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I know there's a lot happening in this particular passage and context, but I would submit to you tonight that it is important, in fact, vital. It may be the most vital thing that you can do in your walk with God to become skillful in the word of righteousness and the way that you become skillful in anything, whether it be physical or spiritual, is to do it over and over and over and over and over again. Can we put our Bibles down And I'm going to ask us to lift up our hands before I let us be seated. And let's just ask the Lord to help us tonight. God, there is perhaps no more important thing that we could talk about. No greater spiritual, no greater spiritual persuasion that we could put into our life than the study of the word. And I pray that we would grow in the grace and the knowledge of who you are. Strengthen us, I pray. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And everyone said in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you for standing and worshiping. You can be seated. We're talking about how to become skillful in the word. I, every once in a while, I'm, I'm asked, not, not real often, and, uh, but sometimes I am asked if I went to Bible college uh, since I am a preacher. And uh, I don't believe that you have to go to Bible college or any college uh, to be a preacher. Uh, Peter didn't go to Bible college and then preach on the day of Pentecost. No, he was called of God. But I did. I had the opportunity, and our pastor, my father, was the 
vice president of Indiana Bible College at the time. And so uh, I lived there and I felt a call to ministry and I decided to go to Indiana Bible College. And I, uh, I wish I could tell you I did it in four years. I did it in five years because I was working a lot and, and moving slowly and got married in the middle of all that. So life was moving quickly. And people will often ask me, what is, what is the, the number one thing that you learned in Bible college? What, how did it equip you for ministry? And uh, had a lot of terrific instructors, a lot of great classes, and a lot of good things that came out of that, and I'm thankful for it. But I, when I look back at it, really there's one thing that Bible college did for me that I will be eternally grateful for. It taught me how to study the Bible for myself. That really was the number one quality that Bible college instilled in my life. In fact, most instructors, would they wouldn't just spoon feed you the answers. They wanted you to learn how to find the answer for yourself, how to study, how to truly know what you believe, how to be persuaded. You know, Paul used that word, and that's a powerful word. Every child of God needs to be persuaded of their faith in their own heart. Because if you're not persuaded, or the old timers used to say, if you don't have a made-up mind, the winds of this world will cause you to drift to and fro with every wind of doctrine that comes into your life. But when you are rooted and grounded in the word of God, you will be like a house that is built upon the rock that is Christ Jesus. And when the winds blow and when the waves come, you will stand firm in your faith and in your resolution to serve God with your whole heart, your whole mind, and your whole soul. That's a powerful thing. And so Bible College did that for me, and I'm thankful that it it put inside of me skills and, 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 and things that caused me to grow in my own study habits. And by the way, you should have study habits. We often say the word habits with a negative connotation, but uh, habits are just something that you do without thinking. If you bite your nails, you do it without thinking. It becomes a habit. You ought to read your Bible. And it ought to just be something that you do instinctively. It's such a part of you. You ought to pray every day. Not because you have to. Not because uh, you're filling some kind of quota. But because it is such a part of who you are as a child of God. That you wake up in the morning and you say, I want to start my day with Jesus. Not, Not because of legalism. Not because of a law. Not because of a rule. But because you desire in the inward parts To have a relationship with God. And when you have that, it flows from inside of you. You know, I I had someone tell me years ago. I shouldn't tell this story. But I had someone tell me years ago, well, I, I really love my wife, but I hate it every time she opens up her mouth and talks. (laughs) And I said, you, sir, do not love your wife. Because you cannot separate someone from their words. Hello. It's not possible. And there are people who claim that they love Jesus, but they don't love his word. No, you don't love Jesus. 
No, no, it doesn't work that way. You can't separate Jesus from his word. They're inseparable. They are one and the same, and you need them in your life. You have to have it. And so the Bible, the Bible, and pastor, I'm always nervous when I talk about these kinds of things because our pastor is one of the great theologians of our time. He's one of the great Bible scholars of our time. And, uh, and, and I'm going to be approaching this from a, a much more simplistic angle. But I do want us to know, and I want to affirm what our pastor has preached many times over the last year, that the Bible is the holy word of God. When you see that word holy on the front of your Bible, that's not just there just to fill space. That The Bible is the sacred holy, reverent word of God. It is timeless. It is alive. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost just talking about the word right now. It is powerful. It will change your life. The holy word of God. And, and, and we ought to reverence it. We ought to love it. There are people who bled, bled their last drops of blood so that they could translate the word of God into English and into Spanish and into Russian and into Chinese. People who literally gave their life so they could preserve the holy word of God. And yet there are those of us who we don't even have time to pick up our Bibles. I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. I was, I was reading a story the other day of how when, when the... When Communism, of course, Russia is still communist, but but when it was at its peak, at its strongest moment in communism, and they were burning Bibles and they were they were killing Christians and they were they were confiscating Bibles. No one was allowed to have a Bible in Russia at the time, and this would have been the '60s and into the '70s, and and. There was a missionary who was related to the Urshans, and he went into to Russia and he smuggled Bibles in in the back of a truck at, at, and put his own life in peril. And when he did, the Christians came out from their homes. They came from the villages and towns. They came from all around. And when they got, they had no Bible. But they love the Lord. And the only reason that they could even have service is because they had committed large portions of the Bible to memory. If they hadn't hidden his word in their hearts, how would they have even been able to worship? But they loved it so much that they would get portions of the Bible on scraps of paper that people would hand to them and they would memorize it and then they would burn it. And then they would come into the basements of their homes and they would sing. Oh, how precious is the blood that was shed for me. And when those Bibles were smuggled in, they met in the middle of the night. And the missionary was telling the story of how people... They came up to that truck and they got down on their knees and they began to weep as they handed Bibles to them. Oh... I wish that we Americans could get something in our spirit. Oh, are we so blessed that we don't care anymore? You know, blessing can be a dangerous thing. Because when you have something, when something comes to you easily, you don't value it. They often say that's why 
you know, if you study generational wealth, you know, billionaires, often a billionaire will leave his money to the next generation or the third generation. And usually by the time he gets to the third or fourth generation, they're completely broke. They go bankrupt because they never learn the value of money. They never learned what it meant to earn it. They never learned what it meant to value it. They never knew what it meant to have nothing. And so they think that it's just natural to have everything. And then they squander it and they lose it all. Listen, church, I I want us to know if we're not careful, we'll have that mentality where we do not value and reverence and love the word of God. We ought to love it. Oh, hallelujah. We ought to love it. And so the Bible is broken up. We're talking about how to be skillful. Now, there's a lot of people who read the Bible and they believe things, but they're not skillful in the word. And it's important that you point yourself and say me, that you become skillful. Now, you have a pastor who's very skillful and uh, and that's wonderful. And so that's a great first step. You should have a pastor who is more skillful than you. And that's a that's a good thing. He's your shepherd. And uh, that's tremendous. But you should be skillful in the word of righteousness. Now, the Bible, we know, is broken up into different categories, the law, history, poetry, uh, the minor and major prophets, the gospels, all of these things. But what I want you to notice very quickly is the Bible is comprised of 66 books, 40 authors written over 1,500 years in three different languages on three different continents. And yet the Bible comes together in this powerful and congruent word that is absolutely perfect and without contradiction. I believe, now listen, I've been in correspondence for over a year now with a young atheist. and, And one of the most compelling things that I have ever discussed with him is the fact that the Bible, with with all of the different authors written over such a lengthy time span, the fact that it all comes together, there is no such thing as a coincidence like that, my friend. That is a miracle. That means that it was indeed God-breathed, God-ordained. Holy men of old began to transcribe it as they were moved upon by the Spirit of God. And it is one of the great testimonies to the existence of God is his living, breathing word that is still relevant to us today. And so the familiar scripture that we all know, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Look at your neighbor and say all scripture. That includes Leviticus. (laughs) That's the whole thing. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. So all of these different books by different authors in different times, in different places, with different emphasis, all of them come together and they are all inspired by God. And they are all profitable for our lives today. Now, let me take you to the next slide. And I'd like to give you just a quick recommendation. I like to do this once in a while because we are talking about becoming skillful in the word of righteousness. Uh, One of the first purchases that I ever made in Bible college was this little $3 book right here. And I could take you to all kinds of 
great big exciting books, expensive theology books and things of that nature that would be very helpful. I thought about doing that, but in the end I just boil it down to this one book. If you do not have this one book sitting beside your Bible when you study, you need to get this book. You can go on Amazon, you can go to just about any bookstore, Lifeway has it. Usually it's 3 to $5, maybe $6 if you really catch them when it's not on sale. And, uh, but it's, it's a very, very helpful book to have because we just look. Now, when I was young, I used to hear that the Bible is incredibly simple. And, uh, and I understand why they said that. There's, there, there's reasons for that. We used to say even a child can understand it. And that's true. And, and I think what we meant by that was children can comprehend the love of God. Isn't that true? Children can comprehend that there is a God. Isn't that true? And, and, and there are things about the Bible that are very easy to understand. And so sometimes we do make things too complicated. But in the end, in the end, the Bible is a very, very large book with many, many, many facets to it. And studying it, just try reading the Bible. Just try reading the whole thing through in a couple days and you'll find how complicated it really is. And try understanding all of that when you do it. See, we know instinctively when we think about that, that there's a lot of things happening. And so we need to be very careful in how we approach the word of God. And this is one of the most helpful little study books that I've ever had. It really, what it does is, and what I do, and of course, if you have a study Bible, that's helpful as well. You should have a study Bible. And um, one of my favorites is the Ryrie Study Bible. Uh, It's tremendous. But this little handbook is really like a, a study Bible by itself. And it's a little more in-depth than a study Bible. So what I do is when I'm, when I'm looking at a, a passage of Scripture or I'm starting a new chapter or I'm going into a new book, I'll, I'll open it up and this tells you all of the history. It tells you exactly what's happening. It tells you where it is. How many know that your Bible is not in chronological order if you read it from Genesis to Revelation? Everybody awake? I know we're getting a little heavy duty right now. But it's not chronological. So you can be reading... You know, a story about David and then you go to the next book and you can be reading something that happened before that or after that. You're not sure sometimes, especially if you're new to studying in depth. And and one of the great things about unless you buy a chronological Bible, which you can do. But one of the great things about this Bible handbook is it tells you exactly where this particular passage of Scripture is happening in time and history and the overall themes of the book. And so I highly and highly encourage you to pick that up. It's Nelson's Compact Series. And in fact, uh, it was Pastor who bought me my very first one many years ago. And I still have it. It's all worn. I need to get another one because it's falling apart and all of those things. But uh, get two or three of them and give them to someone. Be one of the finest things you could ever do for someone is to give them one of those little handbooks. Now, let me take you to the next slide. And I want to give you a couple simple Bible study helps. And I'm purposely being very simple tonight. And by the way, one of the most common questions that I receive from people through our our website ministry, through our podcast ministry, and even right here in the local church, is people who have questions about how they can get more out of their Bible reading and their Bible study habits. And I'm, I'm constantly emailing people, helping people who are frustrated because they read the Bible, still don't understand the Bible. And, and, and I understand that. We've all been there. Anybody ever been there? Could we just be honest? I've been there. There's been times where I've read an, an entire passage of Scripture, and in the end I scratched my head, and I didn't have a clue 
what I was looking at when I got done. And, and now the problem is that's understandable, but you should not be content to stay there. That's kind of harsh, preacher. No, no, no. No, no, no. I'm not going to let you stay there because that's a dangerous place to be. You need to grow into the meat of the word and become skillful in the word of righteousness. And so here's just a couple very simple things to help you. And then we'll go a little deeper if time permits. Number one. Oh, let me give you this quote. This convicted my heart. I read this uh, earlier this week and it really convicted me. Uh, He said this. He said, if Jesus didn't think he could handle life without knowing the scripture inside and out, what makes you think you can? Now, that may not be for anybody but me, but when I read that, I literally had to get down and pray right there and say, Lord, I need to spend more time in your word. So it's vital. It's vital that we have the word of God in our heart. Okay, number one, simple Bible study helps. Take notes and highlight. I know that seems simple, but I'm amazed at how many people that I'll, I'll, they'll show me their Bible and I'll open it up, and it looks brand new. Your Bible, if you've had it for more than three days, should not look brand new. Hello. If your Bible looks brand new, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. And so you need to get something, get in there, highlight things. When, when you're studying and when you're reading, highlight something, take notes, write in it. If you want to have a Bible that you never mark in, that's fine. But you ought to have a Bible that you're comfortable writing in, that you can remember things. When you write things down, that's a form of memorization. In my days in Bible quizzing growing up, the first thing that we did when we started memorizing, we memorized the first year the entire book of Psalms. Just Psalms 119 alone is enough to just almost make you pass out when you're, you know, nine years old thinking I've got to memorize the entire uh, book of Psalms and all of Psalms 119. And the first thing they teach you is write each scripture individually over and over again, 10 times. Just write it down. Just write it down because it's a form of memorization. And so when you take notes, it brings it through your memory sensors and in to your memory bank, and you should do that. Number two, ask questions as you read. Your goal when you read the Bible shouldn't be just to get a whole lot of chapters done so you can go say, hey, I read eight chapters today. Well, what did you learn? I don't know, but I read eight chapters today. No, the goal isn't to speed read and get in as much as you can so that you can say, I read a whole bunch. No, no, no. The goal is to really get what you read into your heart. I would rather for you read one scripture a day and really, really, really get that in your heart than to speed read over 800 chapters and not have a clue what you just looked at. Get as deep into it and ask questions. Pursue the answers to those questions within Scripture. And so when you have a question, you should write that question down. Write the question down and then start a journey to find the answer. What did Jesus say? Seek and ye shall find. And so when you begin that process, you'll begin to find answers. Read through the lens of a learner, not a know-it-all. Sometimes we do this. We approach Scripture like we know everything and we don't know everything. And, and, and I do this. I catch myself all the time because, listen, I'm a know-it-all. I re- see these glasses? They mean that I'm a certified know-it-all. The glasses prove it, okay? <laughs> I'm a know-it-all. 
But you know what I have to do when I open up my Bible? I have to say, Lord, I don't know everything. There's a whole lot of things that I think I know that I don't know. There's a lot of stuff that I don't even know that I don't know about it. That ought to make you scratch your head. There's things you don't know that you don't know you don't know. And then when you start getting into the word of God, all of a sudden, because it's a lie, it starts opening up some things in your mind. It starts illuminating things. It starts revealing things. That's when revelation comes. That's when things start changing when you really. But it doesn't happen when you're just getting your quota and you're just going through. No, no, no. You've got to read with an open heart and read with understanding and read and say, Lord, I want to learn. Teach me your will. Teach me your will. Now, I like this one. This says, help me a lot. Uh, it says, visualize the text in an illustrative and poetic way. In fact, uh, Brother Huntley told me many years ago that one of the things that he does when he's studying to preach, and I've heard several preachers say this, one of the things he does is he goes, it's going to sound funny to you, but he goes and buys a children's illustrated Bible. Anybody know what I'm talking about? There's, there are those kids' Bibles that have lots of pictures in them. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And usually they've had an artist that goes in and, and makes pictures of all. There we, ha- we have one right there. Perfect illustration. Kinsley is helping us tonight, and she's teaching us how to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. So, and what Brother Huntley says, what he'd do is sometimes when he's studying and he's trying to bring the word to life, he'll actually read through a children's Bible because the pictures, even though they're intended for children, help him to visualize what's happening in the text because those things really happen. When we read about David slaying Goliath with a stone and a slingshot, that is not a fairy tale. It is not a fictional story. No, no, it's not Max Brand. It's not Louis L'Amour. It is the holy word of God. And it really happened exactly the way the Bible describes it. And sometimes you have to do something to remind yourself, this really happened. And it comes alive to you. Take time to pause and reflect on what you've read. Always take time to meditate on the scripture after you've read it. Take the time to research words or illustrations that you don't understand. Don't just skip over things that seem confusing. I, I, I know so many people who do this. They'll just skip over things that are difficult for them when really what they ought to do is dig into those things until they get understanding. Can I get an amen? Discuss thoughts and questions with others. Now, this is important. Don't cast your pearls before swine. Don't just discuss deep spiritual truths with anybody. You know, that's a recipe for disaster. You know that? Nothing can, nothing can bring you off a spiritual high like going to someone that care anything about the Word of God and trying to have a back and forth about the Word of God. I'm not talking about witnessing. I'm talking about when you're trying to grow. Okay? So find someone who is sincere... And spiritually mature who will care about those things and talk about things. Don't you think that's a good thing to do? I'm amazed at how many times in Pentecost we we have this peer pressure where we've got to pretend like we know all the answers and we don't have any questions. 
and the devil keeps us from ever talking to people to where we grow and we're strengthened. You know what that is? That's shame, it's guilt, it's condemnation, and I rebuke all of those things. We ought to be willing to say, I don't have all the answers. Sometimes I need to go to my brother, I need to go to my pastor, I need to go to my bishop, I need to go to an elder and say, I need you to help me understand. I've been reading it. Help me understand. And that's one of the ways that God often helps us grow. And finally, be prayerful and praiseful. Everyone said prayerful. Prayer and Bible reading go hand in hand. I, I didn't, I'd love to spend more time talking about prayer, but uh, let me just say this. You cannot separate prayer and Bible reading. They're one of those things that are just tied together. And so when you read the Bible, you should be prayerful and you should be praiseful. I always approach my time of study in the word with praise. I begin with praise and I end with praise and I pray all the way through. And that's how you should cover everything that you do spiritually. Cover it in prayer and cover it in praise. All right, let me take you to the next slide. I've got to move very quickly. I'm going to lose some of you here, but I'm just going to jump into it. Some of you are going to thank me for this, even though you're not going to like it right in the moment. But I want to give us a couple simple laws of hermeneutics. Try to say hermeneutics if you can. Everyone said hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the branch of theology that deals with how to correctly interpret Scripture. And every Christian, I believe every Christian should have a basic knowledge of hermeneutics. Because in a sense, every Christian is a theologian. If you be, do you believe anything? Does anyone here just not believe anything at all? If you believe something, and if you believe something about the Bible, then you have made a doctrine, or you have accepted a doctrine, or you have adhered to a doctrine. And in a certain sense, you're a theologian. I know that's not completely true, but in a certain sense. Because we all have beliefs that we must share, because we're mandated to go into all the world preaching the gospel. And so none of us are allowed... To just sit and hold on to our beliefs without sharing them. Jesus commanded us to share our beliefs. And so we have to be equipped to do that. If we're not skillful in the word of righteousness, then we're not going to be able to share our beliefs with anybody. And we ought to be able to prove and defend our beliefs. This is So I'm going to give you a couple very simple rules of hermeneutics. I've tried to boil them down. And make them simple. If you have a pen, this would be a great time to write some of these down. I'm going to make these available on the website and on the Facebook page. Because this will help some of you. Number one, the golden rule of hermeneutics is when the plain sense of scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense. Therefore, take every word at its primary, ordinary, usual, literal meaning. Unless the facts of the context indicate Otherwise, this rule assumes that all truth harmonizes and that there are no discrepancies between the word of God and there are no discrepancies between accurate statements and facts. In other words, every word in the Bible is true. Anybody believe that tonight? Every word in the Bible is true. It all harmonizes together. It all works in synthesis. And let me just boil down the golden rule of hermeneutics to you. When the Bible says that God is one. It means God is one. 
No, 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 but there's someone told me about a trinity. No, no, no. When the Bible says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, then that means there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. No, no, but you got to understand there's a plurality and a dual right. No, 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 no. You are not adhering to the golden rule of hermeneutics. One God means one God. So when the text Makes common sense. And when it's simple, don't try to make it difficult. We do that sometimes with scripture, don't we? Take something very simple and they distort it into something confusing. And by the way, that's one of the great tricks of false teachers. And it's satanic and demonic really at heart. Is when you take the simple truths of the word of God and distort them into being something so convoluted and so confusing. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, and I know this is going to go out on the podcast, and I look forward to the nasty emails, but I, I, I've, been, I've been watching a couple things on the internet of, of Trinitarians who are trying to defend their Trinitarian faith, and I'm not trying to be mean to them. They were very sincere, but one of the things that they'll always say, and I mean in the last four things that I've watched, and I'm talking people who are very, very well-known preachers and apologists and, uh, and even hermeneutics teachers who are getting up and they're trying to defend the, their belief in the Trinity. And I saw one young man just the other night and he said, now, how do we harmonize the fact that the Bible says that God is one? And how do we harmonize the fact that nowhere in the Bible does it ever say the word Trinity? He said, what I have come to understand is that it is so comp." He literally said, a uh, professor, he said, it is so complicated that you cannot expect to understand it. That was his answer. And then he tried to help people understand it after he just told them that it's not possible to understand it. He tried to help them understand it. You know what he was doing? He was breaking the golden rule of hermeneutics. If the Bible says that God is one, it means that he's one. Don't complicate it. Don't twist it. And we see that with grace. We see that all the time with grace. People twist grace into all kinds of knots and they try to make it mean that, well, I can do whatever I want because of grace. You've just made scripture complicated. When Paul said, when Paul said that, no, 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 God forbid, God forbid that I would enjoy grace just so that I could sin. That's pretty simple, isn't it? And so we have to be careful. That's the first rule, the golden rule of hermeneutics. Number two is the law of first mention. I like this one a lot. And uh, this would help a lot of folks if they would, if they would really understand this. I was studying worship the other day. And the law of first mention just really revealed some things to me. I'm not going to give them to you tonight. That's for another sermon. That the first mention of any fundamental word, everyone said word or institution. What's an institution? The family, the church. Those are institutions. Usually presents the general meaning of that subject and it's used throughout Scripture. So the first time it's mentioned usually gives the clearest meaning of what that word or institution means or is designed for. Let me give you a quick illustration of this law. Remember the sacrifices that were required uh, of the Lord from Cain and Abel. How many remember that in Genesis? The very fundamental teaching concerning the atonement for sin with all of its implications is found in these sacrifices recorded in Genesis chapter 4. And so 
we see all the way back in Genesis chapter 4, the blood and the sacrifice right there in the beginning, the law first mentioned. It was pointing all the way to the cross of Calvary and the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. And so you can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 4 and you can see the very beginning of what the Messiah was going to do on Calvary. What a powerful thing that is. Worship, by the way. Oh, I want to preach that, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to preach that another time. I wanted to tell you about worship, but the law first mentioned, that'll help you. Whenever you're studying a particular word, go back and find where it was first mentioned, and it'll open up your eyes to some things. Number, take you to the next slide. The law of double reference. The prophets constantly spoke of local or current events, without, and without even telling you, they would just suddenly, they'd be prophesying, and they would be making a prophecy about current times in a local setting, in a local place, and without saying that they were going to do so, they would shift their prophecy to some future event that was far removed from what was happening in that particular place. You see this in Ezekiel a lot. You see this in Revelations a lot. You see this in most of the prophetic books. And what it reminds me of, have you ever seen those picture frames, those digital picture frames, where there's a picture there and then it'll fade out and then another picture will fade in? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And what... the way the prophecies would work and the way they would give those prophecies, it's like they'd be prophesying and it'd be a clear picture and then that one would blur. And then as that one was blurring, a new prophecy would come forward and it would superimpose itself over the first prophecy and then that first prophecy would fade away and then you'd have the brand new prophecy crystal clear. It's just like that. And you see that all throughout the prophetic word of God and you need to learn to recognize that because sometimes... You have double references happening. And, uh, and we see this several times in Scripture. For example, um, when, when you see the prophecies re- re- having to do with the coming of the Messiah and then the second coming. How many believe he's coming again? How many are looking for a rapture, that great and glorious day? Sometimes you see that blurred and it's hard to, to see the difference if you're not paying close attention. Now, let me take you to the law of reoccurrence. And I'm going to have to stop here, even though I don't want to. I'm all worked up. But I'm going to take you to the law of reoccurrence. After the prophets made a statement relative to something, everyone said the prophets in the future, so they'd be talking about the future. They often gave a fuller discussion covering the same ground, but laying the emphasis in a different place. The second presentation is additional to the first, or it clarifies the picture. So let me give you a quick illustration from Genesis 1 and 2. Y'all still awake? This okay? I'm almost done. In chapter 1 of Genesis, we see the summary of what? The six days of creation. How many remember that? So in chapter 2, we come back and we're given a second discussion regarding the creation of man. The subject is still creation, but The writer came back and filled in some of the blanks, filled in some of the pictures. Now, what many people who are against the Bible have done is they'll try to tell you, now that is evidence that it's two different authors. It's two different writers, and so the Bible is inaccurate. The Bible is not uh, to be trusted, and they'll tell you just you can't trust that. It's why would you have that style? The Bible is full of that kind of style. Remember, they were not writing on their own. They were writing as the spirit of the Lord moved and breathed upon them. And so what God often did is he would give 
a summary of what happened. The six days of creation. In the beginning, God created this. In the beginning, God created that. And in the second chapter, God would come back and say, now I want to give you a fuller picture of what happened. And I'm going to tell you about when I created man in my own image. What a powerful thing. And so none of this represents a conflict in Scripture. All of this is just God retelling things in greater and greater detail. I'm, I'm one of those strange people who wish the Bible was longer. I wish it was. I wish we had more details. I, I, there's times when I'm reading and I say, Lord, I wish there was just one more thing you would have told me about that. But he did not. He did not give it to us. Stand with me. I'm going to have to come back to this another time. I wanted to finish it up, but I wasn't able to. How many love the word of the Lord tonight? How many love the word of the Lord tonight? Hallelujah, Jesus. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Oh, God. Could we lift up our hands and thank him for his word right now? Lord, we love you, Jesus. We thank you for your touch. We thank you for your goodness, God. I'm so glad that you gave us your word. So that we wouldn't have to just depend on a man telling us things, God. That we wouldn't have to just depend on somebody's preaching. But we could have your word, Lord. And that we could reference everything to your holy word. We thank you for it, God. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. We give you praise. We give you glory. And everyone said in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God bless you. You're dismissed. And we will see you Sunday. Keep praying for our parking lot that they... Pray that the rain just completely goes away forever in Jesus' name.